everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Substation podcast. This is the next in a series where we're looking at the role of demand in market design. And today we're going to focus in on what we're calling rationing of demand. What do we mean by that, Tom? So this is the kind of last resort step generally. So it's probably worth prefacing with a caveat here that this is kind of the ragged edge of market design. Uh, um, it's it's basically what happens at the end or the last resort and as such none of this is very or it's not really market design as such as it's more like contingency planning civil emergency planning um, stuff and a lot some of it in certain parts of the of the rule book is kind of afterthoughts or bits that have never really been checked or bits that were copied over from older bits of like rule books from from one set of rules to the other and and importantly have never been tested in anger in in terms of like we've never had to use for example section g uh contingencies of the balancing and settlement code and some things might be written down but not necessarily public so we presume there's a lot of procedures yeah. and all sorts that sit within government and national grid yeah and ofgem which we obviously don't have any access to because if they were made public, they would be very good blueprints for doing naughty stuff. So what we're, what we're talking about here is basically once the market has kind of... They're, they're, it's the last resort. There's, there's nothing else left. The market's done all it can. The system operator has done... is basically in the realm of we are taking emergency actions and are telling you to do things for, for your safety and for everyone's safety. Do what we say. We're invoking our special powers that, that they have in those kind of emergency situations. And the reason that we're talking about this, and we, we've led off on this one, <laughs> rather than going into kind of demand side response, which we'll get to, and this is the more exciting market design unit, is that this is probably the closest, or at least in, certainly in my professional career that we've ever got to having to need to use these parts of the rule books so what's going on partly it is a kind of low capacity margins so things like coal-fired power stations are coming offline we've got nuclear power stations that have come offline this year so we're losing capacity and then the other side of the coin is that in france especially as a result of essentially a long-running history of delays in terms of maintenance which is partly affected by the pandemic the nuclear power stations um, in france which make up something like 80 percent of their capacity are on long-term delays in terms of maintenance they're supposed to have about 60 odd gigawatts of capacity and in some periods they've been running with about 30 to 40 gigawatts of capacity so in a country that is quite reliant on electricity for things like heating and is usually relied on as a exporter especially to gb they've actually been um importing power from us so we would know or we would normally be expecting to be be bringing in about three gigawatts of power from france actually half of our interconnector burned down and and actually we've been exporting power onto the continent because of this problem so that that means those um megawatts that we were expecting to be able to bring in we've actually had to export we're running much much closer to our margin of supply but crucially and this all goes back to the the huge impact on the global gas markets of the russian invasion of ukraine 
and Europe being heavily reliant on Russian gas, having to cut that off. Cutting off Nord Stream, for example, has meant that gas, there is a significant concern about the availability of gas in certain circumstances, or, or before kind of this month there were. So the, the main concern was that without Russian volumes of gas in periods where they, they were cold or it, or it, was, it wasn't windy and, and we weren't able to access enough liquefied natural gas on the global LNG markets, that we would have to import gas from the continent. They might not necessarily have enough because they're even more reliant on imports than we are because we're well connected into Norway, um, have our own continental shelf supplies that in the direst of circumstances, we would have to initiate some emergency arrangements, which we'll get onto, but that would feed through into the power sector. So if there wasn't enough gas, you have to, uh, one of the key things, you have to keep the gas pipes pressurized um, so in order to do that, we'd have to take some actions on the power network. And that would probably mean that in that situation where it was necessary to maintain security of supply and gas, the power system would probably have to take one for the team uh, in that sense. And so that's probably the most likely avenue for where we might have to activate these provisions. The other one might be some sort of major natural disaster affecting either significant parts of the transmission system or a cluster of power stations. So, yeah, so that's the outlook. That's where we are coming into the winter. Now let's talk about, I suppose, the different arrangements in gas and electricity and what happens if things go wrong effectively. Uh, let's start with gas, I suppose, with a caveat that, well, we usually talk about electricity and we're probably both a bit closer to the electricity arrangements, aren't we? But in a lot of ways, gas, the gas market and the gas system is very similar to electricity uh, with obviously notable differences but you know a lot of the key principles this idea that you have to be centrally balancing this this um, the network and the market that you have the role of national grid in britain managing sort of the transmission network so the nts the national transmission network in gas and then you have local distribution networks so ldns managing the distribution network in gas so it's mirroring electricity in that way electricity being the mar- or the market for electricity being balanced every half hour, or settled every half hour, sorry, balanced in real time, gas settled and balanced on a daily basis. Yes, exactly. So it's a little bit slower, I guess. There's a bit yeah. more flex naturally, isn't there, within the pipes? The network itself, the gas pipes are storage, in a sense, in that you can keep the gas in them, and you have to keep the gas in them. So you've just basically got to make sure that the gas that went out of the pipes in one day came in at the other end and you can do that over a day you don't have to do it every second yeah and as you said our gas supplies are relatively diverse in britain so we get a significant proportion from norway a significant portion from our own gas fields i think roughly 10 percent, based on a typical winter comes from lng so liquefied natural gas in the tankers and around 10 percent comes from storage I mean, so there's there's all sorts of kind of ranges of storage. So short term storage, which is a couple of days, medium term storage, which is weeks, and then long term storage, which is your seasonal summer to winter. And and that te- like that final bit from imports is generally flips between either LNG or pipeline imports, depending on which is cheaper. Uh huh. Uh huh. And it's so it's the LNG and interconnector imports through the pipelines, 
which and storage to a degree which provide kind of flexibility to the market if there is a disruption to one source but there's only I suppose so much that that can provide and you then have obviously National Grid sitting with in the middle of all of this as gas system operator who sends signals through the market through the the OCT so the over-the-counter market um, in gas and similarly to electricity their role is to sort of balance the pressure um, and the line pack on the gas network um, and ensure that the gas quality is in line with with legal specifications. And the the line pack is the measure of gas stored in the pipes? Yes and as you said I mean I think what's quite different to electricity and gas is that cutting off domestic customers is the absolute last resort in gas because of how long it can take to re- gasify re-energize we can say re-energize isn't it repressurize repressurize um basically reconnect homes to gas you have to physically send a person into the house and do the job um in order to do that so it could take kind of weeks maybe even months to get a particular area reconnected and the houses are likely to keep using the gas so once you've cut off so basically you can't go to someone's house and just cut off the pipe that you know there's too many households so what will happen is you have to turn off the pipe at the top but the people in at the bottom will keep using the gas and therefore they will empty those pipes out and then when you want to put the gas back in the pipe there's going to be a sudden rush of gas into that pipe that would probably be bad and that and given that everyone's houses are connected to those pipes that would is why you do not want to depressurize the distribution the gas distribution network yeah there's a whole other range of yeah safety issues effectively isn't there yes yeah there's yeah yeah electricity you can relatively safely cut off people from electricity that's not the same with gas so the gas emergency arrangements are designed around that principle really a bit more than than the electricity arrangements are so how it works uh, sort of day to day as i mentioned national grid is sending incentives through cash out prices derived from actions taken on the OCM market. The SMP, Single Marginal Price, which sends signals. All the parties in the market trade and work with grid, but once there isn't enough gas and grid forecasts there will not be enough gas, what do they do? So if they forecast there's going to be enough gas to meet demand, they will. They may call an emergency and there'll be a, a special emergency team called together um, to liaise sort of across operations, media, and of course, government and, and the regulator um, to, to manage what's going on. And there's a number of notices. So before things formally become a, an emergency, that may get issued. So again, similar to, to electricity, you have something called a, a gas margins notice, which is a day ahead forecast that's published at 2 p.m., which says things look a little bit hairy tomorrow. If you've got any spare gas, now's the time to let it go. Um, and then following that, you've got a gas balancing notification, which is within day. And similarly, that's sort of a notice from National Grid gas system operators, so GSO, to the market to say um, there's any flexible sources of gas, release it back into the market. And the intention is that the market would react. And the hopefully using those warnings that the system would balance itself. The likely flexible supplies of gas are industrial customers who don't have to do a process or could switch a fuel 
and power stations who could theoretically buy the power from another source, i.e. maybe oil or coal or nuclear or interconnectors, and sell the gas back. And it's the, it's the notices plus obviously the prices then you'd expect to be quite high, so the incentive is should be on those people with flexible um, demands to sort of sell back the gas. The price should drive that behaviour. So that's kind of the, the BAU activities and kind of coming into an emergency with the warnings. It's all about incentives and trying to get the market to um, balance itself using notifications and, and cash out prices. There is also then a new-ish, well, within the last 10 years, demand-side response market in gas that allows users of gas to post prices that they'd be willing to effectively turn down or disconnect their gas from. So it's aimed at larger users. There, to my knowledge, it's never been used, as in nobody's ever actually posted a price, and also it's never been actually utilised by National Grid to balance the system. But the, the purpose of that demand-side response service is, again, very much more, very much focused on emergency or tight margin situations, I suppose. Not necessarily emergencies, but, you know, it's a step that you take to prevent that. And then another kind of key tool the National Grid uses ahead of real time will be taking specific trades. So it'll do that on the OCM as a matter of course, but you might see National Grid taking direct trades in specific locations if there is approaching an emergency situation. Before we hit a gas emergency, we're going to be likely having very high gas prices, the incentives to reduce demand are there, um, incentives on market participants to balance their positions are there. And this is when we might start to see electricity market stress as well because of the key interaction of, of gas and electricity. Third of our gas consumption is used for electricity generation. If there is thought to be a gas emergency, something called the Network Emergency Coordinator will be, will be formed. That is, so that's led by National Grid, but effectively the NEC, it's kind of independent of National Grid. It sort of sits separate to that. It's the party that is responsible for coordinating activities in an emergency and can control actions on, on networks and, and direct industry parties to, to respond. So what is a network gas supply emergency? It's defined as an emergency endangering persons and arising from a loss of pressure in the network or any part thereof. So it's a potential or actual loss of pressure in the gas network that would require prompt and appropriate action to prevent any dangerous occurrence. So emergency can be called when we think that there could be a loss of pressure on the network, so not enough gas to meet demand, or when there actually has been. Where there is overall not enough gas to meet demand, this is called a gas deficit emergency, so a GDE, and there's four stages of the gas deficit emergency. So the first stage is where National Grid and the NEC will actually do a public appeal to ask everyday customers to turn down their demand. So separate to the demand side response market that we talked about earlier. They will also consider using emergency specification gas. So this is another way that as with gas is different to electricity, there's kind of different blends of gas that you can have that does have to be kept within certain limits. But I think, as I understand it, there are times when they can use the. So this stuff. is like the cat things like the calorific value of the gas, the 
how much moisture content is in the gas and I think how much sulfur content is in the gas are some of those specifications or, and particulates possibly. Um, and you could relax that and say, well, actually, you know, we're not going to clean this gas that we've got here. We're going to put it straight into the pipes right now just to help, even though it will mean a lower quality or possibly something nasty gets through. But it means that the system is kept in a safe position. And then the other part of the stage one gas deficit emergency would be using that line pack. So as we mentioned before, that sort of inherent flexibility within the pipes that you have in gas. So that's sort of stage one of a gas deficit emergency. We're in the emergency. We're trying some actions to try and resolve the situation. However, if that doesn't work, we would move to stage two of a gas deficit emergency. So in this stage, the, the market is officially suspended. So the OCM market is suspended and you know, public appeals will, will continue during this stage, but then we also might start to see load shedding, effectively disconnecting customers from gas. So as you mentioned before, the overall objective is to avoid disconnecting domestic customers above all else. So the disconnection, sort of the load shedding in gas goes from largest users to, to smallest users. Which nowadays, the largest users are power stations. Yes, which is where it gets tricky. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it kind of, obviously at this stage, the gas system operator will be talking to the electricity system operator and we'll talk to, we'll come along to interactions later. But yeah, you, you, we don't expect them to just go strictly in size order if that means that that's going to cause more problems for the electricity system. I think that's the general rule that they start with transmission and they go to the LDN, but they may, um, and, they, and that they go from biggest to smallest, but they may not necessarily go in that order. So, so I have been led to believe that there is a process and possibly a document of some type that describes how gas system operator and electricity system operator interact with each other and what they would do in this process. However, I'm fairly also confident that it is a, a, a massively official secret and that I will never get to see it. <laughs> and, you know, also, I suppose you, you, you don't want to, slash probably can't be too prescriptive because every emergency would probably be different and there might be, it could be windy or it could be not windy or what, yeah. whatever's going on. I, I think it, it's more along the lines of, you know, gas system operator will present a list of options to an electricity system operator who will study them, come back and say yes or no to these different options. And the timelines for these data and, and studies being done is this, and they will have this discussion and then decide which one to do. Even though it might cause issues for the electricity system, it's not like the GSO is going to completely avoid electricity generators and the disconnections because it's better to put off to cut domestic customers off electricity than it is to gas. So if, if you're avoiding gas disconnections, you're willing maybe to accept some electricity connections, disconnections. Basically, that's the end of the road then, isn't it? It's We've started to disconnect. There isn't really any sort of limit there either. They can go as hard as they need to get what they need to get. There, there's like no... There's no backstop to this. It's just we'll keep cutting demand until there's enough supply. The kind of final, the last last resort piece of this process is that they would isolate part of the network and that whole bit of the network would get disconnected. Yeah. 
so for for example a bit that you never ex that doesn't have any supply going into it so bits of the gas transmission system that say spur off into a part of the country that isn't connected to one of the LNG terminals or up into Scotland or the east of eastern seaboard where all the gas connections are you might cut that bit off and say well look we're just losing this part of the country but we've kept the rest of the country safe and unfortunately that was the decision we had to take and i think it's fair to say that that part that step will be very very unlikely i mean all of this hopefully is very unlikely but if we are getting to the point where we're disconnecting gas users you know you shouldn't have to go too far down the merit order i suppose um before the situation can be resolved it would be very very rare to to going to get to that stage where you are disconnecting part of the network so if that were to happen um i think they've said it oh, in the winter outlook they've said it's actually reasonably unlikely that it would happen and they're only expecting to need to do that in a situation in which literally no lng is turning up for weeks um which as we've seen so far actually there's tankers sitting off the coast who haven't got anywhere better to go and are effectively being floating storage for us so we're probably not likely to be in that situation they said that in the most in what was it in a one in ten winter we might need to import some gas from over the continent and there would probably be enough for us so we're probably not likely to see that situation so that's probably good but if we were we would probably likely have to disconnect some gas fired power stations because they are the largest users of gas and some of them would probably have to turn off maybe not as many um as so i think grid modeled in their winter outlook a 10 gigawatt loss which is about a third of the gas fired fleet um, in terms of capacity so it's very very significant but if that were the case it's very likely that a the electricity supply emergency code would be activated so this would be used only in the situations where some form of demand disconnection was required to be to be used and allows the use of public appeals by the UK government for voluntary restraint of electricity use it allows directions under the energy act 1976 on commercial or industrial undertakings so that you can tell industrial customers to stop using electricity and it also uh crucially which is this is the newsworthy bit that everyone gets interested in it allows the use of race disconnections under the HSC act 1976 and 1989 so before we even get to that part there's a range of things that would happen before that so if it were like a, a normal supply emergency ie things were getting a bit tight there's a whole range of warnings that national grid would use so we'd have the emin electricity margin notification that would be done as soon as the system operator thought that there was a insufficient system margin um which would probably be sometime the day before they probably have an idea about that the day before but it could be issued anytime realistically up to gate closure which is now before real time once you get to real so they'll probably be trading in between this period that um and doing everything they can to make sure that there's enough capacity so either warming power stations up which would either be done through bm startup notifications or trading trading on the interconnectors to redispatch continental power or using the balancing mechanism to keep people warm because also ahead of time this winter we've got these two new enhanced services yes so at the day ahead stage we might see a request from national grid for the Yes, the new demand side flexibility service which is National Grid's new service just for this winter where it is procuring flexibility from 
domestic and industrial customers. And that's done with a warning at the day ahead stage and then a confirmation within day and then customers will, will deliver off the back of that. Those warnings will come with an associated ENM as well, or at least the, the final confirmation on the day, which I think is around half two in the afternoon. If National Grid is intending to use this service in anger, so not to test, then it will have to, it will also uh, publish an ENM. Then there's the winter contingency contract, which is uh, keeping coal-fired power stations in a strategic reserve, which is expected to cost something like £485 million. Pounds. And similarly, there'll be a warning, an ENM. What do you call it? An EMIN? EMIN. An EMIN. Electricity margin notification. So once we got once we got to the real time, we will get a HRDR, a high risk of demand reduction. So this is we've got to the day ahead, we've got to the an hour before gate closure. Grid is still concerned that there may not necessarily be enough capacity in place. So an HRDR is this is your last chance. Everybody find whatever you can down the back of the cupboard things might get messy in the next hour and a half mm -hmm. if you're getting into i believe it's is it 50 minutes or 30 minutes it's something like that before they might need to activate their last resort action which is disconnecting consumers intentionally they will issue a dci a demand control imminence this is in the next 15 minutes to 30 minutes we believe we will need to activate our powers to disconnect consumers and this is but this is basically just a formality really at this point um it is entirely in the hands of what people are consuming as to whether or not it occurs. Probably worth noting that these warnings may or may not happen. So we could, you know, the warnings are issued if possible, but yeah. we might see demand control yeah. or other things happening without them. Yeah. Once you get into real time, this is where either the automatic systems will take place. So if it's a frequency issue, it's happening too quickly um, for a human being to intervene automatic systems will kick in and um, when frequency drops below 48.8 hertz 5% of the demand will be cut off in incremental blocks until I think it goes as low as 60% demand will be left remaining well a target of 5% demand will be cut off so when we had this back in 2019 I think was it 3.2% of demand was actually cut off but the intention yeah. was five yeah so the relays are supposed to be set for 5% but embedded generation makes that a bit more difficult so that's what happens automatically. What could happen um, if there is enough time for a human being to intervene is that National Grid will use its powers under Operational Code 6 of the grid code. In this case, they will ask distribution network operators to reduce demand on their system. So they will go to the, to the distribution network and say, can you give me three gigawatts of power reduction, please? Uh, however you achieve that is up to you, but I need three gigawatts to be lost from your part of the network. Um, so this could either be by voltage reduction, so they could reduce the voltage on the system so that the energy flowing across would be less, um, or it could just be by disconnecting circuits. So those are the OC6 powers. That's when things like the vol pricing kicks in, um, vol value of loss load, your cash out price is going to be very, very high. So this is kind of all ad hoc stuff, stuff that they can do when they're managing, you know, trying to juggle things in real time. These ESEC powers are kind of happening on a different time scale. And electricity supply emergency codes, we talked about that, and, and uh, all the things about rotor disconnections. This is where you have enough notice to basically say, ah, I know I'm gonna have a problem. The most likely example of this here is that the gas, there is not enough gas, there is not enough fuel to run the system. So where we know that's likely to be happen, they will activate the powers under the Electricity Act 1976 and the Electricity Supply Emergency Code, and they'll plan for rotor disconnections. So the rotor disconnections 
it's kind of similar to those low frequency demand disconnection uh, blocks, but there will be everyone will be put into buckets. Your postcode will be given a bucket. Uh, you'll have a code, and you'll be able to look up. If you look up in the back of the ESEC, there is a table. This table will say when your power cut is based on your code. Everyone will be given a code based on their postcode. You look up on this table when you have power and when you don't. And there's 18 levels. And basically it's designed so that each of these blocks is a three hour block. And at the beginning, everyone is getting a three hour, uh, is losing power for three hours at least twice a week, basically near the beginning. Um, some people will get it in the first two days and some people will get it in the last two days, but it's, it's spread to be even. And then by the time you get to level 18, no one's getting any power anywhere at any time. Basically, these are designed to avoid the blackouts. So National Grid has said 16th of November that they will do everything in their power to avoid the next step, which is OC9 of the grid code. So this is where a black start has to happen. So a black start is where you have to restart the electricity system. And so this is where a market suspension comes in. So even with uh, rotor disconnections or um, OC6 disconnections, the market still exists. So people will still be buying and selling electricity um, and will be expected to submit their PNs, their physical notifications and participate in the balancing mechanism. It's only once you get into this OC9 section and the section G of the balancing and settlement code is where uh, market suspension starts to exist. So if you have a partial or a total shutdown of the system, as defined under OC9 of the grid code, which is where in grid's opinion they need to activate the black start provisions, so that's either where basically, like in the gas system, you might sacrifice part of the network to keep the rest of the network operable. So you might say, okay, well, let's just cut off a part of the country. We'll connect them back later, but the rest of the system remains operable. And it means it'll be easier to reconnect them later. In that situation, you're likely to have to use a black start kit to restart that dropped bit of the network. That's where OC9 kicks in. And this is where the market suspension might take place. In that situation, that's where things like, um, that's the only time in which, unlike in the gas network, where we, I think it was at stage two, the the OT, the OCM was, was suspended. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Only in kind of this last ditch effort where we've had to basically, where we've had to kick in the restart, um, have to, had to hit restart on the system. That's when the market is suspended in electricity. So it, in gas, you can have the gas market suspended, but the power market can still keep going until Grid thinks they have to do the restart button. It is unclear at this time at which point that will be kicked in because it's very likely or and unclear as to whether in an ESEC rotor disconnection world, we're going to have to do restarts of the system. Don't know yet. Maybe not. In which case, we can have rolling blackouts, but the market will still exist. But there is a threshold. Yeah, that there's, there is a threshold for the partial suspension. Yes, but that doesn't so, necessarily... That road disconnection or LFDD doesn't count there necessarily. Doesn't necessarily count. It's Depends on... when we need Black Star slash yeah. restoration, as to give it its new name. Which we may need to do depending on how far down the rotor blocks we've got. Yeah. Who yeah. doesn't know, not been tested. Grid have said, last thing I've heard, they will do everything in their power to keep the market going. And that's a last resort, it's cutting off the market. You can suspend parts of the market at earlier stages. So you can 
change the imbalance price. For example, we can introduce this contingency imbalance price, which you'll you'll decide that for us, won't you, Tom? Yes, although there is some guidance, so I'm not just <laughs> yeah, I'm not just picking it out of the air, but uh, yeah. yes, that is part of the duties of the BSC panel. And also, you can implement. So this is well, I say you, I mean the Secretary of State can decide to implement either these contingency imbalance prices or they can implement caps on balancing mechanism prices as well. Yeah. Um, but the Im- like imbalance or the market suspension stuff can only happen in a market suspension period, which is when Grid uses these OC9 black stars. Black yeah. Which is, I just find fascinating. I just, this idea of like us trying to operate a market when Roche disconnection is going on or... I just yep. uh, and and that the gas market can be suspended, but the power isn't. It seems odd. I mean, I think that that covers quite a lot of what's going to happen in an emergency. Or could happen in an emergency, um, and, and the interactions between the two, the clear interaction between the gas as as kind of you know, gas is the major fuel. It's the fuel we've got to be worried about. There's good reasons to be worried about it. However, I, I think it's looking that given that we've had a very mild start to the winter. Gas storage is at record, not record highs, but highs for this time of year. LNG looks like it's happy to keep arriving. Gas prices are still high going into quarter one. I I think, I don't think we'll see gas deficit warnings or emergency arrangements kicked off this winter. But it has been a fun ride going through all of these (laughs) contingency (laughs) arrangements. I mean, the, the important, like so, for example... You're a commercial operator in the gas or electricity market. You need to know what these arrangements are because I've spent a lot of money either buying gas or I've signed up to provide someone a very expensive commodity electricity. I have obligations. Everything is very expensive right now. How a emergency, um, which is not outside of the realms of possibility, might affect my commercial position, and hence hundreds of millions, possibly billions of pounds, could be on the line. And so these are all really important questions for energy market operators right now, is what happens to me in a emergency situation? I think from a consumer point of view, there are competent engineers who have wargamed all of this, sitting in control rooms, who have thought about this, and I think it's clear from the supply emergency arrangements that they know what they're doing. That's the thing. I think as much as we probably bash National Grid and certain industry forums, they're very, very good at their job. <laughs> you know, like we've yeah. had a very exceptional amount of reliability on the system. And, and they know what they're doing. They've looked after these systems. They've wargamed these they, these things. They know. They know what they get. They have to do in these situations. I'm not worried about them having the, them doing the right thing when push comes to the shove. Um, I think that it is about that commercial implication because of the huge sums of money that are sitting on the line in this situation, which is because these are very unused parts of the rules and regulations. Is less. It's not clear. Not particularly clear. Hard to understand, and potentially exposes you to extremely large sums. It's hard to predict as well, right? It's not just necessarily that the things aren't written down and public, etc. But God knows what could happen. You know, when we had, when we did have the low frequency demand disconnection in 2019, it was this sort of interaction of different things that happened. You know, there was a storm that took out a bit of the transmission network that, and then two other generators fell over 
related to that. And then you had embedded generation. I'm, I'm simplifying oh, yeah. massively, but yeah, it didn't was... take out the trans the bit of the transmission network. It caused like a wobble oh, a surgey lasted... thing. Yeah, yeah, it caused the wobble that lasted maybe less than a second. Yeah, but enough of a wobble to take out the generators, and then yeah. also embedded generation. There was which it shouldn't have done. It shouldn't have done that. Yes. So there was this weird, and then the trains they had their own wobble, which was related, but their own business. Um, point is, you know, it was a complex interplay of different things. And you could probably imagine any emergency to be a complex interplay of yeah. different things. I think, I think if if um if I was designing the so the the key thing here is the interaction between the commercial sector of the market and the emergency sector of the market and how you transition from one to the other, because um, we don't want to be in a situation where through no fault of their own traders who try to do the right thing parties who are buying and selling electricity and not causing an issue are exposed to potentially huge sums when something goes catastrophically wrong that they couldn't have done anything about and they're not in control of. And I think that there is a risk that that can happen here with the mismatch between gas and electricity and the fact that um, electricity trading can keep happening even though civil emergencies have been declared. I mean, are the traders literally going to be going into into their offices if the trains aren't working or there isn't internet being supplied um, all these sorts of things. We're gonna have to use fax I, machines. Yeah. Oh no, which, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that there should be a clearer transition from normal to emergency, and that um, there comes a point where you shouldn't like a market should be suspended, and nobody should be exposed at that point to to the thing, and we should we should run it as a centralized system, incur a cost, and then allocate it fairly afterwards. And say, okay, the market stopped here, and we had to do things here, and we're going to start the market back up again. And there shouldn't be a confusing overlap between emergency and, and market situations. And I guess what also we'd like to see is more stuff before this all happens. So specifically, demand side response, right? We're talking about rationing and centrally enforced, but we'd like to see both more BAU demand side response and also kind of these this idea of kind of enhanced or contingency demand side response so people who might not want to be cut off every day but if it gets really hairy they'll accept disconnection for a certain price and the the these emergency codes talk about government appeals to people yeah. and say look look useless i'd like to see that that how would that look what would that look like how would we see it um because in france and california for example we've had these situations Californians use their emergency text messaging system to send SMS messages out to everybody. In France, there's literally a website that tells you how to save electricity at times of high mm. uh, high peak system stress. They've also got the politicians all wearing jumpers and stuff in public, don't they? Just yeah. To sort of send that message. Yeah, having that, like, I'd like to know where I'd get information about that at the very least. Where would I go to see that? Where should I be looking? I'd like to know that you're prepared. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, there's very little... And it's it is indicative view that the government is prepared to tell people to use less, in, which is literally something they're supposed to do in an emergency. Well, that's the thing. It's like there seems to be a reticence to do that before the emergency happens because they don't want to be, I guess, a nanny state for want of a better term. But yet, if the worst does happen, we're going to have to do a lot of centralized actions and enforcement of things. Which is, again, I guess, a lesson from the pandemic in that being prepared is never a bad thing uh, and people are willing to do things to help each other out. 
It's a lovely note to end on. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I can be wholesome. <laughs> we, we will return when we talk um, about how demand side response markets can be designed better. And we're also going to talk about energy efficiency at some point when we learn more about energy efficiency. Or find someone to speak to us about it. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for listening. I've been Tom Edwards. And I've been Emma Burns. And you've been listening to the Substation Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Notional Grid. Mm. I'm at energy underscore burns. Or you can email us at the Substation Podcast at gmail.com. I think we're on LinkedIn. Yeah. Bye.